0: There was something about motherhood that felt there was a frustration there, like, oh, she's she's so dependent on me. I just want to get back to work. I just need to have more time for myself. And there was a frustration. I was using so much mental energy with that frustration and like kind of rushing her. And then it was when I had my son, I realized how small my daughter still was. And that I really just needed to slow down and soak up their smallness because I was wasting so much energy wishing they weren't dependent, so dependent on me. When I realized, oh, they're both still really small and this is a really magical time, like they're not going to be small for, for, for long, right? It freed up space in my head to start paying attention to the magic that is someone just like experiencing the world for the first time
1: hello and welcome to mother maker a podcast featuring conversations with artists who are also mothers this is episode 10 and today i'll be sharing my conversation with digital artist and poet emily french My name is Emma Coy, and I'm a musician and performance artist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I live with my husband, Jason, our four year old son, Henry, and a six month old daughter, Susanna. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Um, I started a mother maker as a website in 2017. And at the time, I was in a place of, I guess, mourning of a former identity. I was a new mom. And I was a little concerned that I would never be able to make work in the same way ever again, or even just practice my instrument the same way again. And I started looking for other creative women who were making their living as artists while raising kids. So I started to interview women in my community and women who I had known from previous things that I'd done. And so I Started interviewing musicians and dancers and writers and photographers and painters and sculptors and creative ladies of all kinds. And I decided to start Mother Maker as an online magazine where I could share these interviews in written form. First of all, to get some confidence that I could still continue my practice as an artist, but also to share these conversations with others because as alone as I felt, I knew there must be other moms going through the same thing. And last year, I decided to turn the website into a podcast. So here we are. And we are here now at episode 10. And I think I've done something like 45 interviews total on the website. So while please be here on the podcast, I'd love for you to check out the website too. And if you're not sure where to start, actually send me an email and I'll tell you based on what you work in, which would be a great interview for you to start with. So, But thank you for being here, and please stick around. I'd love to hear from you in any way, so please reach out if you can. And on that note, please give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening, or even better, review and subscribe to the podcast. Selfishly, I love reading the reviews, and the more we get, the more people we reach. So thank you very, very much to those of you who have given us a rating. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with digital artist and poet Emily French. Emily lives in Charleston, South Carolina with her husband, Sean, and two kids, ages four and six, and this interview was recorded on January 9th, 2020. Emily was so gracious to actually record this interview with me twice. Um, We are actually spending the winter in Florida. You can listen to the whole story on that in the previous episode, but I'm on a new computer here, and the recording software I'm used to using did not work the first time that I recorded the interview with Emily. Emily. So a huge thank you to Emily for doing this two times. I think one of the most magical things about having kids is to be a witness to somebody experiencing the beauty of life for the very first time. And we get to do that as parents every single day. And for Emily, this incredible phenomenon is a major source of inspiration so much so that when her children were small, she took them out of daycare so that they could be home with her while she worked on her art practice. And now her kids are in school, but that initial step helped her to confirm what she wanted to be doing with her life. What I love about Emily's work is that it is initially bright and sunny and joyful. So when she told me that she went through a very dark time with a deep, deep depression and an eating disorder, I immediately paused. Because now she is in her element, making her art and writing every day while her kids watch. And she's doing it from a place of wellness. And we all have periods of pain and trauma and darkness in our past. Some more than others, but it is a beautiful thing to come out of that and find yourself living in your truth. And I think that's exactly what Emily is doing. It's inspiring and I hope you think so too. If you've got feedback about this episode or the podcast in general, there are lots of ways to get in touch with me and the Mother Maker team. You can send me an email at emma at mothermaker.co. We are also on Facebook at mothermakerco and Instagram at mothermaker. Also, be sure to sign up for our newsletter by going to mothermaker.co, click newsletter on the upper right hand corner. And by joining our mailing list, you'll get these interviews delivered to you as soon as they are released every other Friday. If you are on Facebook and looking for a community of mother artists, please come and join our Facebook group, Mother Maker Artists Raising Humans. This group is literally growing every single day. Um, It's a supportive place. We go there, we talk about our work, we post our works in progress, we um, post our challenges and um, it's a really lovely community. I'd love to have you there. So just go to Facebook and search for Mother Maker Artists Raising Humans. So now here is my conversation with Emily French. <laughs> um, so forgive me if I ask you all the same questions again. Yeah, no, Absolutely. <laughs> And hopefully, you know, hopefully this time it'll go like to new places. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm excited. <laughs> um, so your website is so beautiful. Did you remind me? Did you build your website yourself?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I ran my own web design business for about a decade before really transitioning into art, doing more of my own personal projects. Um, so pre children, I was just working myself to death doing that, <laughs> which was, um, great in a lot of ways because, um, I learned about running a business and it allowed me to be creative in a lot of ways. And, um, but also, you know, I was in my twenties and, I had all this time on my hands. And so I just, I was a workaholic, (laughs) but, um, it was, it was a good experience in that I was able to make money as I learned. I mean, I, I taught myself a lot of, um, you know, code and markup and that type of thing. But, um, but yeah, it's like, I, I, I joke about my website sometimes because there, there, there will be long stretches where I don't touch it. And then it's kind of like the, you know, cobbler's children have no shoes type of thing where I'm working on everybody else's projects and they look (laughs) new and sparkly and fun. And my website is like, uh. but, um, so yeah, I launched the, the, the one that's up now. I I launched that maybe September or so. So feeling pretty good about it. (laughs) I think
1: you should. I think it's really beautiful. And the branding that you've done is really nice.
0: Oh, thank you. I uh, the, My own branding is, I find, the hardest thing to do, which is so ironic because I do it for everybody else, right? right. Totally. But, yeah. Yeah, well. Thank you. It's great. <laughs> Thanks.
1: <laughs> and so you, um, you were a designer for 10 years. Let's talk about that a little bit. Where were you living at the time and how did you get into
0: it? I would say my design career started in New York. I moved at right after I went to college at, uh, in Virginia, university of Virginia. And a week later I moved to New York, uh, without a job, right. The best decision ever. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a place to live at least. And, um, amazingly, I mean, I think that was 2005. So before the recession hit and there were a lot of jobs available and I within a month, amazingly found a job, not as a designer, but as an you know, office person in at a very small design agency. And um, because it was so small, though, it was one of those things where you just do what need, needed to be done. So, I mean, there were only about four to seven people at any given time in our um, space, this beautiful studio space in Manhattan. And um, it was a, just a really formative and special time. I learned so much about design just from, you know, observing and slowly working with uh, the design programs and, you know, um, watching the art, my art director and creative director. And so that was fun. I I think I I was one of two Americans. Everyone else was, um, you know, originally from somewhere else, which is also a really cool experience to get so many different perspectives. And so I was with that agency for several years until actually it closed after the recession because the recession hit creative businesses the hardest first actually before. In hindsight, it was interesting to watch before any of the financial institutions collapsed, the creative industry was getting hit hard before anyone knew it was going to happen. Anyhow, um, after that, I decided that I didn't want to work for anybody. <laughs> and so I kind of took a leap off a ledge and decided I'm going to start working you know, for myself and didn't know how I was going to pay for anything. Um, but I mean, I was living in Manhattan and so I mean, everything's expensive. It doesn't matter where you live up there, but, um, fortunately I was connected to a really great group of other women entrepreneurs that kind of just fell in my lap that those connections and so we were all just kind of like starting our own businesses all together at once and a bunch of people needed design and needed websites mm-hmm. and so what started out as working with one or two people really slowly um kind of snowballed into something that I was could I was actually making a living at and so I I have to thank those few people who just put all of their trust in me when I knew absolutely zero what I was doing right it was just kind of like we're gonna learn this together and pay Mm -hmm. me what you can (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I kind of you know fell failed forward doing that for a couple years and um that's when my now husband and I um, got together, and then we moved out of the city. Um, and I, but I continued to to yeah. do that and work with my clients in New York. And then we traveled. Then we moved abroad. I mean, it was just like this big. <laughs> uh, but I kept doing it because I could do it from home. So
1: yeah, amazing. Yeah. Did you were you an artistic kid like growing up? Were the arts a part of your life? Yeah,
0: for as long as I can remember, I was just super interested in art but also words and poetry. Uh, some of my favorite books to read when I was really young were Shel Silverstein. You know, like Light in the Attic yes. and the and, and I remember lying, you know, laying in my, the hallway of my house and, like, writing my own silly, quirky poems and drawing ridiculous pictures with them. And, and it's so funny because now my daughter does the same thing. And she is a very serious artist. Like she, she, she's an artist, you know, which is so funny to me because I couldn't even call myself an artist until what a year ago, right? Um, or so. So I see her kind of going down the same path, and it really tickles me. Yeah, and my my dad always admired art, and he, I remember him talking about um, when he was growing up, like he took technical drawing in school and he wishes that he would have taken art and pursued that. He was a pharmacist, you know, he, he was a very science, very scientifically minded, but he, in his spare time, he was truly a craftsman. He, um, he pretty much designed and built the house that my, that I grew up in and, um, my parents live in now. And he, he, it's it's a 30 year old house, but it looks like it feels like a 250 year old house because he um, tore down old Civil War era houses and and built our house with reclaimed material. Wow. And so he learned to lay brick and lay stone and and that type of thing. And even in his um, you know in the past five years or so, he's picked up some oil paints. And my mom and I keep um, encouraging him to stick with it. But but yeah, it was it wasn't until I think. Middle school, something kind of clicked for me in art class that I was like, oh, this is something that I'm really interested in. And I got excited by the prospect that, like, oh, I, I can, I'm pretty good at drawing and actually drawing. I was excited by the fact that learning to draw is a skill, it's not a talent, and that this is a real thing that I could learn to do, right? And, um, so once I got into high school, I kind of took off with it and my, I have to credit my high school art teacher and high school creative writing teacher, teachers as two of the most influential people in my life. They were huge champions of mine and I think really, um, are the reason for the direction that I chose with my life. Teachers, man. Teachers. I mean, yeah. Big time. It's right? so I think it's so important, especially at that time. High school can be so hard, and if you have if there's someone that truly believes in you, it can be life life changing.
1: I know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and high school it's a big deal, right? Age. I have so many of those in my own life too. Just thinking back, high school <laughs> mentors and teachers who totally shaped who I am.
0: One hundred percent. 100%.
1: Um, can you talk about what mediums you work in now? Yeah.
0: So sometimes I feel like I'm all over the place, but there's just a fluidity with, with my work. Um, you know, when I'm working with physical material, I tend to use watercolor and acrylic and I really love paper. (laughs) So I tend to work a lot with paper. I'm not as comfortable on canvas, but I want to be. So it's a goal of mine to do more, more, um, work on canvas and like bigger scale. And, and I also love collage and, um, there's just a playfulness that I really love about that but because i'm so comfortable in the computer and have and i'm you know i've worked digi- in the digital realm for such a long time i love making digital work too so my process a lot of times is if i say okay i'm going to sit down and hand paint something i might do that but then my immediate step after that is scanning it in mm-hmm. and getting it onto my computer and then manipulating it and creating something new on my computer. So, like that what's it called? The half-life of any piece of art that I have is like extremely long because I turn whatever I turn, whatever I make by hand, I then turn into digital digital piece and create a whole new collection out of it out of that. What I've realized about digital art is that you can eternally, endlessly undo a choice that you've made digitally, right? Command Z, command Z. If you go, if you've, if you've done something, but you don't like it, you can immediately take it back and go in a new direction. And then you lose that uncertainty and that risk taking that is essential, is just an elemental part of making something by hand. Like if you choose to put that big stroke of acrylic paint down, or watercolor or what have you, that's pretty permanent. And you have to, if you don't like it, you have to work with it and kind of lean into that mistake, which can be thrilling and is all part of the art process and a wonderful part of it. So I have to remind myself sometimes that, that I miss, I'm not getting that digitally. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. The the process of digital, I have to remind myself is not, you know, I, I lose something in that, that I can only get when I'm doing something by hand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's so interesting. Do you ever force yourself to just leave a mistake there, like you you decide oh, not so to undo? Interesting. No, but
0: maybe I need to start doing that. Like it just would be an interesting exercise. It. Oh, like yeah, I'm not
1: allowed to command Z all day today.
0: Funny. Yes. And there was even a point where um, when I was really getting back into hand painting. <laughs> And I would make I would do something in that I would regret have done. I I would actually do the command Z action with my hand. Ah. Oh. In the air. Because I was so used to doing it on the isn't that wild? Yeah. So yeah. I should force myself. That would be an interesting project. Cool. Like half an hour every morning. Yeah, I have to No command Z. <laughs> I
1: wanna see what happens with that work.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. You've challenged me.
1: Twenty twenty goal. Yeah. So um, let's talk about motherhood a little bit. What was early motherhood like for you?
0: Early motherhood was kind of dreamy for me because I think I was at the point of my design career that I had gotten burnt out. And so I was really looking forward to maternity leave and um, kind of told myself that I I really wasn't going to set a time limit on it, even though, you know, as a, as first time parents, all those fears surrounding, do we make enough money? How long can I not work? You know, I had all of those thoughts, but the thought of going back to work actually kind of made my stomach churn at that point. So I knew that I needed to just take a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was, I didn't really do anything for a solid five or six months other than just be with my daughter and it was really nourishing and beautiful and inspiring and you know watching her experience the world for the first time you know yeah. so magical yeah I, I took about six months off and when I finally decided I was ready to get back to work I think I was you know I was feeling motivated to do it like I I'm gonna I I'm one of those people who compulsively thinks about what I want to create next. And I think I think you either are that kind of person or you're not that kind of person, right? You just feel this like I must um make things. And so when I began feeling that again, um the most natural decision was to, okay, I'm gonna start my design business up, right? I'm having all these people are emailing me, are you coming back to work type of thing? And so um, because it's, it was cheaper to have a nanny come into our home. Instead of put my daughter in daycare, we actually she, we we found a nanny and my daughter was in our apartment with me as I worked during the day. And so it was a really sweet, sweet, about six months of that. And, um, which just worked for us at the time. I mean, financially, who knows if it really, (laughs) I, I don't know. I was working and it felt good to work, but also have her with me in the, in the home. But but who knows if I really made any money at that point.
1: But don't you um, think, I think about that too. In the beginning, you think like every, I was totally thinking in financial terms all the time. Like yes, me too. I can't possibly get started with my work because I won't make any money and then we won't be able to afford childcare. And then after a a time you realize that you have to honor that part of yourself. And so you'll find the money. I, I mean, that's kind of a privileged thing to say, I it think is. for sure. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, you know, taking that into consideration, when you find the money to deal with the childcare, you realize your mind is freed up a little bit. Yes. And yeah. that mental health is worth everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> worth so really much it. more than the money you lose oh, paying for childcare. Yeah.
1: Now, yes. we live in a country where childcare is super expensive and right. not free for anybody. Okay. Um right. so I'm sure that's different in other places of the world, but like I think about yeah. that often how everything was in when I had my son, everything was financial in my mind mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I can't I can't go practice cuz I won't make any money if I have to hire a babysitter. Right. Right. But, yeah. like,
0: you need it. You need it. You need it. You absolutely need it. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, yeah, oh, gosh, the financial part is so – such a head game anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It, it's a privileged thing to be able to say, um, I'm going to go make art. And it was something that I struggled with up until just recently – I had never allowed myself because of the financial thing, because I always felt like, no, I need to contribute to our family's income equally. Um, I'm capable of doing it, you know, I have the skills to do it. Like why, you know, 21st century woman. Right. But even when I was running my own business, there was a longing that I felt, that wasn't being, that wasn't being fulfilled by client work. And it was constantly nagged at me. And I knew it was because I wasn't pursuing the things that I wanted to be pursuing. And at that point, I didn't even know what that was because I hadn't given it any attention for years. Mm -hmm. And so there was this, also, there was a, a fear attached to it. Like, well, what if I start pursuing my art and there's nothing there? Like I'm not inspired to do anything or I don't even know how to make art anymore or, you know, and, um, So I was, I had all these excuses as to why I never really allowed myself, even, even if it was one day a week, you know, Monday through Thursday, I work with clients and on Friday, I would close, I would turn off my email and just work on whatever I wanted to work on. And it was physically impossible for me to do it. And, um, I think a lot of it was tied up with fear around money and, so it wasn't until <laughs> over the past couple of years, my husband and I um, have went down. We, we went down a path of launching a technical startup. Um, and it meant my husband quitting his job and both of us, working on this project so we had we were living off savings 100 percent savings and pursuing paying you know lots of money to get this up and running and it was maybe two years of that like just really intense uncertainty um and it was a really amazing journey actually in, in a lot of ways but in hindsight what i realized is okay i'm helping my husband pursue his dream and that's really fulfilling. But why haven't I ever been okay with allowing myself to do what I'm doing and what I'm allowing my husband to do? Right? Which is we are stopping work because we have the savings to pursue this huge endeavor. And I have haven't even allowed myself the fraction of time or money to do what I know I want to be doing, right? And so it was this it was this light bulb for me when when it became clear that we actually like we were ready to shelf the, the startup thing. We just didn't have the resources to do it. That was, I finally gave myself the green light to say, okay, now I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm going to do it. Like for whatever reason, I'm, I'm now giving my, myself permission to pursue it. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was recently. I mean, that's just been in the past six months. Okay. Um, uh, but you know, backtracking before that, I, um, you know I was home with my my children when they were when my, after I had my son I my both of my children were home, were home with me so I went also went through this period of just being home with my kids when they were very very young and um and that's when I started doing artwork again I started getting really motivated to doing more artwork and kind of moving away from client work whenever it was that I was going to start working again and then we started the startup thing and then and then I just I felt so conflicted all the time because I wanted to be making art, but I was working on this other thing and it was just like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been this, it's for the past six years, it's been this push and pull between knowing what I really want to do now, finally, like being honest with myself that I want to pursue my art and not being able to, because either having really small children or helping other people build their businesses. And, um, so finally at 37, I am going for it. (laughs)
1: Whatever that means. That's great. (laughs) That's Uh, great. And all of that now is part of the story of you, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one thing that we had talked about the first time we did this interview was how you went through sort of a dark period when you were living in New York. Yes. And I wonder if you could kind of talk about that a little bit and sure. how you came out of it and what it was like for you and how it's part of your story. Absolutely. Um.
0: So that period of my life started when I was in high school and um, persisted until pretty much I was – an adult living in New York. Um I had a I was I was a student athlete growing up. Um when I wasn't doing schoolwork, I was playing sports or working at um my dad's pharmacy, you know, that was my second home growing up the drugstore. When I had I tore my A C L playing basketball, which, you know, was a devastating injury. I mean, I had to have surgery. I um it turn my life upside down because, you know, prior to that, I was spending so much time with my teammates and I had this, you know, always had a purpose, always, I was always, I was busy. And so I was suddenly thrust into having a lot of alone time and going through puberty at the same time. And so my body was changing. I was like internalizing everything, not really knowing, I was questioning a lot. That was the catalyst for depression, and an eating disorder so pretty much my junior and senior year of high school I was in the throes of a really serious eating disorder and um depression not really sure what was more what was worse uh and I struggled in my entire college career with that and and that's and that's a little bit sad because (laughs) memories of college for me weren't it was really just trying to get well. It wasn't, you know, having a really great college career. And, um, my most formative years as a young adult were when I was living in New York, because at that point in time, I was well on my way to recovery, Mm -hmm. even though a lot of the behaviors of the eating disorder, you know, it, it took years to fall into, those behaviors, it takes just as many years to recover from them. Um, But in college, I pretty much admitted myself to an inpatient program for the eating disorder. And um, that is when I kind of had an epiphany about my life, which was prior to that, I was depending on my doctors to help me get well. And it took me kind of holding myself up to realize, no, it's actually up to me mm-hmm. that I have to make the decision to get well. And um, so it was after that experience that I had an aha moment and I left there feeling very different about things. Um, that's not to say that I didn't struggle for many years after that, um, which I did. and um, But there was something it wasn't a question in my, in my mind anymore whether or not I was going to get well. Like I knew I was because I felt I had taken on the responsibility of it rather than allowing other people or hoping other that other people would help me mm-hmm. um, or fix me rather, you know. Unfortunately, the nature of an eating disorder is a lot of lying and hiding and shame and, and you could be lying to the people closest to you and they would have no idea. And so there was still plenty of that, mm-hmm. right? But um, – it's slowly and steadily got better and I actually have to credit my husband for, you know, when I, when I made the decision, my husband and I were roommates for a year and a half before we became more than roommates, That's <laughs> a funny, crazy story uh, for next time. But, but, um, but it was when I ultimately decided, yes, like I'm I'm going to, I'm going to do this, right. I'm going to go into this relationship and, um, that finally all of my past behaviors, you know, self-destructive behaviors, I completely stopped. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it was, I wasn't making any art during that period of my life unless it was, I guess I was in high school a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely in high school. I was making art constantly in high school, but, um, but yeah, when, and in college too, what am I talking about? In college, I majored in art, but in New York, like one of the, where you go to, you know, pursue your creative career, I wasn't, I wasn't um, making my own art, mm-hmm. but I was working on getting well and that's, that was really important and I did, so.
1: Yeah. And you want, you, you can't make your art unless you're well, right? So funny,
0: I, I remember having a conversation with someone a, in, while I was in New York A fashion designer friend I think I was I was having a conversation about my struggles but how like I feel how I felt so happy now and I had made this recovery and and he said something like well don't you need all that rage to make art or something and I was thinking oh maybe (laughs) like (laughs) oh no now that I'm better and happy am I ever going to be able to make art again because I'm not so full of you know angsty emotions there's <laughs> a weird weird memory i have that sticks out in my head and i don't know nervous. i
1: mean i mean uh. i suppose there's like this vision of the the tortured artist soul yeah, right 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 but i think like that maybe maybe i shouldn't go here but i think that that applies to like the non-parent or yes you know Yes. Like in order to parent and care for others, you have to be well. And so maybe this is a different type of artist that we are now in this day and age as mother artists. It's a it's making art from a place of mental health.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. We need the release. We need the but there's so much inspiration as a mother. I mean Yeah, I know. A well that never ends, I feel like. And I also remember distinctly having a thought before I had my daughter. I might have been pregnant. I can't remember. Maybe I would, we were trying to have children. And I was having this mental conversation with myself about pursuing art, why I haven't allowed myself to do it. And having this really strong sensation that... I needed to have children in order to do it and not really knowing where that sensation came from. Or like, it was a, so it was a certainty. It was like, this is what I have to do. And I don't really know where that came from. Maybe it was a self-fulfilling prophecy or precognition or something like that. But for whatever reason I lacked inspiration before, or I allowed my fears to get the best of me. And I needed to let myself go into such a big uncertain thing as parenthood. To see what was on the other side. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's a whole new life, right? A whole new life. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of some way that motherhood has inspired
0: your work? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, where did it begin? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I will admit that after when I had my daughter, I felt like I had to get back into it to an extent. And so I do feel like even though I took a long maternity leave... There was something about motherhood that felt there was a frustration there, like, oh, she's she's so dependent on me. I just want to get back to work. I just need to have more time for myself. And there was a frustration. I was using so much mental energy with that frustration and, like, kind of rushing her. And then it was when I had my son, I realized how small my daughter still was and that I really just needed to slow down and soak up their smallness because I was wasting so much energy wishing they weren't dependent, so dependent on me when I realized, oh, they're both still really small, and this is a really magical time. Like, they're not going to be small for, for, for long, right? It freed up space in my head to start paying attention to the magic that is – someone just like experiencing the world for the first time. Right. Everything was new to them. And when I really stopped to think about that, it's just. I don't know, that's I think that's that's when they were started. They I took my daughter at, out of daycare and I started um, being home with them. And I think that's when things just started exploding for me in terms of in terms of art you know, I would come into my office, make some art while they're playing around my feet, you know, so it wasn't ever a structured, this is when I'm going to do art. They never napped at the same time. We never, I never had a period where I could go make art. It was just, I want them to see me doing the thing that I love to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, however that happened, happened, but yeah, just the wonder that, they experience is just a constant source of inspiration for me.
1: Yeah. What a huge shift. I I feel like I'm in that space right now, the space of like, I just want to be alone for God's sake. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, you say that like this time is so short and you know, it's going to be over like that. Yeah. And maybe there's another mental space that I can get myself to, which is like, why not just involve them?
0: hmm Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. I have to catch myself sometimes. Like, if I'm working on a project and my son or daughter wants to be in the office with me and they want to see what I'm doing and they want to, like, put their hands on things, like... Uh, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, don't touch that, right? <laughs> and then I like bite my tongue because I don't want their experience of me making art to be exclusive. I want yeah. I want it to be inclusive, right? And so don't get me wrong. There have been many, many times where I didn't say the right thing because I was working on something that I didn't want them to touch. But I've always wanted it to be an inclusive experience because that's what art is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... I think it's really powerful to let your children see you do the thing that you love to do, but also more than that, to let them see you struggle doing the thing you love to do and persist anyway. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's, I mean, that's a natural part of life. I think our society has this idea that, Oh, if you're doing the thing you love to do, your life is going to be easy. It's not like even, even if you're doing what you're, what you feel called to do, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and I think that's a really powerful thing to show your children that you do it anyway because you love it and because it is hard, yeah. But I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are you sort of looking forward to in your work and in your family?
0: Oh gosh, let's see. I have some 2020 goals, I'm going to admit. I don't know if I'm going to call them resolutions. But I I have lots of children children's book ideas in my head. The writing comes easily for me. It's the illustrating, weirdly, that I struggle with because it, there's just so much planning involved in it, and I have a really hard time focusing on one thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I'm all over the place with I'm, – I'm going down – 10 directions at once. And so finding the discipline to see one project through is, I think, going to be a theme for me this year. Um, And I hope that a children's book comes out of it. So that's a personal goal for me, for my family, just spending as much time together as we can. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my alone time and I have about six hours of it a day. And, um, that's vital for me and my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm happy that my kids are at the age now that they go to school and they have really rich school environments. They're both in Montessori. I think we talked about that a yeah, little bit before and just, we are, my husband and I are just so grateful for that. It, it's been, it's such a wonderful, wonderful curriculum. And, um, the growth that I see in my children at home is just amazing. Um, but We, I love, I don't know. I don't know if you are familiar with love languages, but quality time is my number one love language, which is so funny because I love my alone time, but yeah, quality time with the people that I love is, is just it for me. Great. So.
1: And I know you have to get going to pick up your kids. So what advice do you have for other mother makers?
0: Oh gosh. Um. (laughs) Um, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, things will happen when they're supposed to happen. that is so cliche. I know. Oh my gosh. But there've been so many times in my life where I wish that something was happening for me. Right. And it doesn't happen. And later, months or years later, when it actually comes to fruition, I think back about the time that I wish that it was happening, and I'm so grateful that it didn't happen then because I wasn't ready for it, mm-hmm. right? And so that is just seems to be a constant theme in my life that I want to control the timing of things, and there we have so little control over that, but that time and time again, it proves to me that I'm, it's a good thing that I'm not in control of it mm-hmm. because if it doesn't happen, you're just not ready for it. It happens
1: when you're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so
0: much. You're welcome. We did it. You. We did it. Yay.
1: So that's it for this episode of the Mother Maker Podcast. We do publish all of our interviews in text form as well, so to read Emily French's interview or to send it to a friend, visit mothermaker.co slash interviews. You'll also find photographs of Emily's work, her family, and links to her website and social media accounts. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter or send me an email with your feedback. You can always connect with me on Instagram and Facebook as well. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Emma Coy. Our web designer and developer is my husband, Jason Coy, and our text editor is my dear friend, Alyssa Zimmerman-Exley. Our music is by David Hillowitz, and our brilliant safety pin letter M logo was designed by Matthew Fleming. Until next time, keep making work, mothermakers. Thank you for listening.